As I've said before, I'm, I'm a well-organized person. Not scary organized, not OCD, but I like things in their proper place. Anybody else with me? As I've been researching the Sermon on the Mount, it has a structure, an organization that's quite it's fascinating. The sermon is a chiasm, a type of concentric structure. In other words, the sermon is organized. I have an example on the screen of this chiastic structure. You can see at the top of the screen corresponds to the A there corresponds to the A at the bottom of the screen. And B and B do the same thing and so forth. Typically, the climax is located at the center with X. Look at what serves as the center of the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> yes, it's the Lord's Prayer. So what does this mean to you? What do you think it means? Everything in the Sermon on the Mount moves toward and moves away from the Lord's Prayer. I believe there's something special here. Now these chiasms are all through Hebrew Scripture, and they direct you to a point. It makes you think, is this important part of the Sermon on the Mount? So what do you think? See, I, I get a little geeked out on these things. No, I really do. And I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sometimes I just need a moment on these things. But Jesus gives his followers a poem, and I believe it was a prayer to memorize. Many of you have memorized it. In many ways, the Lord's Prayer, sometimes it's become a dead ritual. You know, we can recite the Lord's Prayer, and, but, many, but sometimes it loses its power. And as I said last week, most of our prayers have become rote and regurgitated, right? Now, I'm confident many of you have a prayer with your spouse before you go to bed at night. Do your prayers sound familiar? Even if you went back two weeks, would they not sound rote and regurgitated? Devin might do, often. Let's realize what Jesus is doing in this prayer. He's training his disciples. Remember where we started this study many months ago. Matthew 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So his disciples are surrounding him. Jesus is teaching his disciples, as well as the crowd, to foster a habit of continuous prayer. Now, why do I believe this? Well, because in Luke's version of the prayer, a disciple of Jesus asked him this question, teach us how to pray. So Jesus begins by saying, well, pray then like this. Do you think Jesus meant what he said? I mean, do you think he wants us to pray like he prays? What do you think? I'm not talking the exact words, even though the words are, are wonderful. And I'm not talking about this the same form, even though the form's breathtaking. Brothers and sisters, I, I believe every line of this prayer reflects something Jesus believes needs to be included in our daily conversations with our Father. Don't you? And Jesus wants our prayers to reflect this kingdom ethic, which he believes needs to be ingrained in us. And this prayer does that. And what is a kingdom ethic? I, I know you remember. It's love. Love for God and love for our neighbor. Let's look at the prayer. I, th I think you will find its structure informative. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So did you did you see it? You know, the kingdom ethic of loving God and, and, and the communal element of loving one's neighbor. You know where you find it? You find it in the pronouns. Yeah, look at this verse again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is not this the kingdom ethic of loving God? Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. I love you and honor you as my heavenly Father and call your name hallowed or holy. This is the kingdom ethic of love. Our prayers, first and foremost, must focus on the goodness and righteousness and faithfulness and the steadfast love of our Father. He is first and foremost the one we are to love. Look at the second half of the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What do you notice in the second half of the prayer? I notice it's the communal element of forgiving us, our debts, and as we also have forgiven our debtors. Is this not what God requires of us? We love by forgiving others. The first part of the prayer places the focus on our Heavenly Father, and the second half of the prayer draws our attention to the fact it's not just about me. It's about us, you, and me. Every line, every line reflects something Jesus believes needs to be included in our conversation with our Father. And brothers and sisters, when we see Jesus, we've, we're, we're looking at the Father. Jesus came to reveal his Father. And if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. I want us to understand how we're to view the words Jesus speaks in this prayer. And not only the words that he speaks in the prayer, but all his words, all, all the red letter words. The words Jesus spoke were not his own. Jesus spoke what his father commanded him to speak. Over and over in scripture, Jesus reminds us that the words he speaks were given to him by his father. Why is this important? See, the sermon we're working through is as much from the father as it is from the son. They are one. See, when we see Jesus, we see God. When Jesus speaks, we're hearing the very words of God. So when Jesus implores his disciples to pray like this, do you think he meant it? Yes. So since this is true, does it not behoove us to learn, to understand the power found in this prayer? Okay, so next week we're going to center our attention on the three petitions mentioned in this prayer in verses 11 through 12. Bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. And today I want to concentrate on the verses 9 through 10. Just two little verses. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let me ask you a question. Has God's name always been treated as holy or hallowed? Has it? <laughs> Not at all. Let me use an example from my childhood. Uh, there were slang words I was never allowed to say growing up. Some of you may have been there, like darn and geez, and a few others. The reason? They were so close to the actual cuss word. Or they were a word that would blaspheme the holy. Anybody with me? My parents believed some of those words, like geez, did not honor God as holy. Did not honor Jesus as holy. In Scripture, what was the first instance where God's name was treated as unholy? Do you remember? It's on the first pages of the Bible, right? You know, when Adam and Eve did not hallow God's command and ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they dishonored the name of God. When they took a bite out of that fruit, they disobeyed God. And we look back at our own lives. How many times have we done the same? Countless. And Jesus came and emptied himself out to set things right. He came to show us how God intended man to live in harmony with his Father and how to dwell with others. The Sermon on the Mount is to help us understand the intent of how the subjects of his kingdom are to live and how we are to expand his kingdom. We are to take the will of our father, the king, and join him in the work he's already doing, partnering with him and passing his will on to the next generation. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When God created this world, he also created mankind to work and take care of his creation. Mankind was created in the image of God, and he breathed into him the breath of life, and God walked with and talked with his created beings in the cool of the day. You remember that? There was a union of holiness and togetherness and faithfulness with Adam and Eve and their creator. Heaven and earth were, were one. This was God's created temple, I believe. His, his throne, his dwelling, and, and mankind was created to work the garden, to expand his kingdom, and to represent the idea of this union between heaven and earth. I placed two circles on the screen. The wider circle will represent heaven. Let me just write that down. And the inside circle will represent earth. This has been God's intent from the very beginning. His created beings walking in harmony with him, joining God in the work he's already doing. God desires his creation, us, you, me, to dwell with him. Now, we know this type of union did not last long, did it? Sin came into the world and man's relationship with our Heavenly Father was fractured. Sin brought separation. See, I grew up with a storyline that looked much like this image on the screen. Earth has its own world. Let me write that down. And heaven has another realm. For which one day we will occupy as our home if we are faithful. 
in truth. So back to the screen. Jesus came to earth and his disciples would be transported to heaven on the day of his return. So this picture of earth down below and heaven above is also separated by sin. So let's draw that. Let's just write sin down. And while this is our most common belief, it's only half truth. This is not the picture of how Jesus or our Heavenly Father view this, I don't believe. Look at verse 10 again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Savior Jesus came to bring heaven to earth, to establish a kingdom on earth, a heavenly kingdom. It was Jesus' first gospel message, was it not? From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, verse 17. In other words, Jesus came to establish a kingdom here. And as much as everyone has tried, even Satan himself, by nailing Jesus to the cross, I want you to get this, God has not abandoned his creation God has not abandoned this world. No one has driven God out of his creation. Brothers and sisters, we are, are we not God's kingdom? Is, is not Lake Homa a part of God's kingdom presence in this world? Is not this prayer encouraging us to find ways to take that which is in heaven and bring it to earth? Okay, look, look at the next image, which I believe represents what Jesus is actually exploring in this passage. On the left is the world. Now, we can also describe the world uh, in other passages as this age. Now, on the other side, you have heaven. It's also called in Scripture the age to come. So notice the overlap, the place where the kingdom of God has come upon this earth. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 28. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here now. As it, and is upon this body of believers in our hearts and in our lives. It's a kingdom of consciousness. It's a kingdom of hope. It's a kingdom of grace and love and mercy and justice. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is here now. Heaven on earth. If you remember, Jesus emptied himself and took the very nature of a servant to come to earth so that heaven, the kingdom of God, would live in us and among us. It's called the kenosis, the emptying out. Look at this familiar verse in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, our Savior, came to this earth, died on a cross, and became King, one who is highly exalted. 
brothers and sisters, we live in this space, this kingdom on earth where, where Jesus dwells. And don't forget Jesus' purpose. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to save this world, all of it. God loves this world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. God provided a way in which we could join him in his kingdom mission right here, right now. You remember you are the light of the world? city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When Jesus' disciples witnessed the power Jesus found in, his, in prayer, they desired to learn how to pray. That the discipline of prayer was learned by those earlier followers from Jesus. They watched him. They witnessed this connection, this discipline in his walk, and they wanted to emulate it. Remember, Christ's mission, as we talked about last week, began with the, the discipline of prayer in a room filled with 120 men and women. The discipline of prayer was foundational to the beginning of Christ's church. The discipline of prayer on the day of Pentecost was infused with power of the Holy Spirit and the saving of 3,000 souls on Pentecost. The discipline of prayer launched Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And the discipline of prayer releases us and empowers us. Remember what Jesus tells his followers as he is ascending to his Father. You will be clothed with power from on high. Luke 24 verse 49. Now, I need you to look back at the chart. Uh, this power which comes from the Father fills us with courage, with generosity, with grace, with strength. It fills us with love and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and forgiveness and justice. We're filled with the power of the Spirit and we move expanding his kingdom in this little part of our world. We move from where we are bringing kingdom into this world, bringing light, love, hope, joy, grace, and peace. We are servants of the king, expanding his kingdom, and we do, and we do not do this alone. Jesus is here with us now. No, it's not a physical presence, but he is here with us in the gift of the Spirit that dwells in us. His presence, our counselor, our teacher, has taken up residence in us. We are imbued with power, the power of Christ in our lives, a power that cannot be shaken. We have been sent into this world just as Jesus' disciples were sent into this world to expand his kingdom. Listen to this. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Speaking about his disciples. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus didn't leave us, brothers and sisters, as orphans. Christ is with us. Emmanuel, Christ with us, transforming our lives. Look at our text again. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, has the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven? Yes. 
Absolutely, yes. But James, if the kingdom of God is here, why is there so much crime? Why, why is there so much division? Why are marriages and families being destroyed? Why is there such evil in the heart of man? Why does it seem Satan and his minions have the upper hand? Can I, can I let you in on a well-known fact? Jesus came to get the hell out of earth. He did. The reason the Son of Man came and appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus prays that God's will, his Father's will, be done on earth as it is in heaven, he means it. I made this statement over and over. God loves all people. And that's a true statement. Our Father in heaven does not want anyone to perish. He doesn't desire this. And that's true. But brothers and sisters, there will be many who will perish. There will be many who will cry out on the day of God's return. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's another statement I don't say very often. It's a hard saying, it's, but it's the truth. Our Heavenly Father hates sin. When we sin, just like Adam and Eve, we do not honor God as holy. Is our Father gracious and loving? Absolutely. But He's also a just Father. See, as believers, when we sin, we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus continually. The Lord tests, though, the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Over and over, God speaks of the destruction that will occur for those who do not love him, nor do they, nor do they keep his commandments. This is, this is not just a one-time sin, but a habitual, ongoing way of life. When one denies the holy, there are consequences. Look at this verse from Deuteronomy. Know therefore that the Lord your God is good, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him, he will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 11. Our Holy Father loves all people and desires them to come to a knowledge of the truth. Our Holy Father also is not slack with those who hate him. Listen to me. God, God honors our choices. God is good and God is just and he honors the choices we make. God honors the choices you make in your life. And if you choose to do evil, God will honor your choices. And if we are disobedient, disobedient to our Heavenly Father, it's called sin and God hates sin. It will not be a part of his eternal kingdom. God wants to get the hell out of earth. Are you with me? As we close today, I need you to remember one little phrase. Already but not yet. God's kingdom is here already, but, but, it's not fully realized, is it? See, there is a kingdom we all long for, where everything is put right, and we long for the day when Christ will return with his holy angels and take his faithful ones who, 
who have fallen asleep and who are here at his return to be with the Lord forever in a kingdom where there is no pain, no mourning, no crying, and the former things will pass away. All things will be made new. and God will wipe away all the tears. Don't you long for that day? So even today, right now, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day, brothers and sisters, we are citizens of this kingdom now. And we need to be people of prayer. It's what was expected. I look forward to being with you next week as we discuss the three petitions in the rest of this prayer. Until then, may I leave you with this blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I love you very much. May God bless you.